If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. We're in Luke chapter 14 as we continue in our sermon series on parables, how Jesus told stories to shape our minds. And we've learned in this sermon series that parables are short stories that answer the big questions of life. And so far in the series, we've heard Jesus answer questions like, how can I find God even when God seems to be hidden? He's answered questions like, how can I be made right with God? How can I know if I need to change my life's direction? And you can go and hear any of those sermons uh, anywhere you get your podcast. Redeemer Shoals is the way you would look those up. But today we hear Jesus deal with this question. What does Jesus think about the cool kids table what does jesus think about the cool kids table? Now, when i say the cool kids table what do i mean by that well maybe you had the experience when you were in school there was that table where all the cool kids sat and you always wanted to sit at that table maybe you got invited to sit there maybe you didn't maybe you ran that table i don't know but what does jesus think about the cool kids table it's an important question Because you know the cool kids table does not end when we're out of school, right? We all want to be at the cool kids table, and that takes different forms at different points in our life. But but we all want to be invited to the table. We all want to be in the in group. We all want to avoid being on the outside, happens when you get to college too. You apply and you want to get into college. You finally get into college, then you want to get in the right programs or in the honors program or in the right fraternity or sorority. It happens with a job. You want to get the right job, then you want to advance in your job. It happens to us as adults when we see pictures online, when we're on Facebook or Instagram, and we see friends of ours gathering together and we wonder, why wasn't I invited? It happens in business. You can read business journals. I Googled this week, and there are all kinds of articles like how to avoid being overlooked at work, how uh, to get credit and to be recognized for the work that you do. We still struggle to get to the cool kids table. It happens even here in our church. I have people say to me, I really wanted to be invited to be in that community group, and I wasn't, or I didn't feel like I was on the inside. I really wanted to be invited into a discipleship group, and I wasn't. We all have this desire to get to the cool kids' table. And I want you to think about what that is for you. What is it that I feel like I really need to be in this in order to really know that I made it? I need to be here in order to have significance or to have worth. We all find things like that in our lives. What does Jesus think about the cool kids' table? What does he think about this desire to be invited in, this desire to be in the end group, this desire to be honored in the presence of all? Certainly we were made for a community. There's something good about that, wanting to have a place, wanting to find our community. But as a result of the fall, with all the good desires God has given us, it's become warped in some ways. And so I want to invite you to hear what Jesus says about the cool kids' table. We're going to look here in Luke 14. We're going to look at four scenes and answer these four questions. First, what does Jesus think when he is invited to the cool kids' table? Second, what does Jesus think when we are invited to the cool kids' table? 
Third, what does Jesus think when we're inviting people to our table? And finally, what does Jesus think about God inviting us to his table? So let's look at those things together. First, what does Jesus think when he is invited to the cool kids' table? We see an account of that here in Luke 14, the first six verses. Let me read those for us and pray, and we'll dig in and look at these together. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. One Sabbath, when he, that's Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to him, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Father, we're here now before your book with it opened. I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts, that you would help us to receive your word, that you would speak to us, that you would show us our own desire to be included, to be in the in-group, to be honored in the presence of all. Show us the good things about that. Show us the ways that those desires have been warped in our lives. And more than anything, show us the only thing that will ever truly satisfy us. Please make that clear to us now, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, what does Jesus think when he is invited to the cool kids' table? You see that, right? That uh, Verse 1, one Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And so these important people from the town are there, and they've invited Jesus to sit at the cool kids' table, right? He's there with the rulers, the people who call the shots in town, the lawyers, the Pharisees, the religious elite, the rich, the connected, Notice a couple of things that we see here in the life of Jesus. First, notice that Jesus does eat with the rich and the powerful. Do you see that? He doesn't avoid going to their homes. You know, it's not just the poor that Jesus is interested in. He is very willing to go to the elites, to the rich, to the connected. You see, as followers of Jesus, we can't stick it to the man in the name of Jesus. And we think that way sometimes. Jesus certainly is for the marginalized and the oppressed. There is no doubt that is true. But sometimes we see Jesus side with the poor and the marginalized and oppressed so much that we think that he doesn't care about people who are rich or connected or privileged or who have power. And Jesus is willing to invite into the kingdom of God, even the rich, even the privileged, and as his followers, we should be willing to do so as well. When I was at Covenant Seminary, the popular thing, everybody, what they wanted to do was, I'm going to go into an urban area and plant, you know, where the poor and the oppressed are. That was like kind of the popular thing. And here I am, I'd practiced law for 10 years. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to some suburban area like with a lot of white people who have money probably, which they would all laugh at that. Now I'm in a strip shopping center and I can see the Arby's drive through from here. Not exactly a tall white steeple church. The Lord has a sense of humor. But the popular thing, it was almost kind of looked down. If you're going to a suburban area, we've already reached that for Christ. I'm going to the cutting edge. 
But of course, that's not the attitude of Jesus. As his followers, we need to keep in mind that Jesus welcomes all kinds of people into his kingdom. And we need to be warned because it is very natural for us to only gather with those who are like us, with those who look like us, with those who are in the same socioeconomic class that we are in. The world around us often tries to divide us by class. If we're honest, whichever side of the political spectrum you tend to vote on, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we would have to admit that both political parties are at times guilty of trying to divide us by class. Making poor people mad at the rich, tax the rich. Making rich people mad at the poor, they're just uh, soaking up all these government programs. Often, the political parties try to divide us with class. Notice Jesus does not divide by class. He is very willing to go to the home of the rich and powerful. He has compassion on the poor and the oppressed. And so if we are followers of Jesus, that puts us as followers of Jesus at odds with those who would divide us in these ways. Second thing I want you to notice, wow, this is big. I, feel, I have three teenage daughters. I feel like I've lived processing the cool kids' table for about the last 10 years, right? And let me just something tell you something I see here in the text that we have learned that is so true. Listen to me. Just because you get to sit at the cool kids' table does not mean that you're in or that you're going to be accepted or that everything's going to be okay, the cool kids have an agenda. And you see it here very clearly in the text, right? Jesus has been invited to dine at the house of a ruler, but it's not because he's in. What does it say? They were watching him carefully. If you've been reading Luke's gospel up to this point, they really want to discredit Jesus. They don't like the things that he is saying. And they want to discredit him. They're trying to catch him. These lawyers are trying to catch him in his words. So just because Jesus has been invited to the cool kids, it doesn't mean he's in. It doesn't mean that he's really accepted. Sometimes the cool kids have an agenda. And you don't have to look far to see it. Verse 2, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, I am not a physician, and, and physicians will tell you that this is an old-fashioned word, dropsy, really just for swelling or, or having uh, fluid in our soft tissue. I think we would call it edema. It's just swelling. It's probably indicative of some other problem that the man had. But the question is, why did the cool kids invite some dude with dropsy to the party? Do you think because he was in the in crowd? No. It's a trap for Jesus. Perhaps this man had been wanting to come to the cool kids. He's, he's wanting to come even when he's ill because he wants to be there so badly. And they're just using him to trap Jesus, to see if Jesus will indeed do this healing on the Sabbath day, which they thought was wrong. Just because we get invited to the cool kids' table doesn't mean that we're in or we're accepted. So be careful when you are accepted at the cool kids' table, whatever that is for you. Sometimes they are using you for some other agenda. But I got good news for you. 
Jesus has an agenda too. And look and see what Jesus does here in verse 4. This is so short, but it's so amazing. But do you see what it says? Jesus, of course, asked them questions about whether it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. These are the experts. They should know, but they don't say anything. And then you see in verse 4, Jesus took him. He took the man and healed him and sent him away. That didn't really jump out at me the first few times I read this text, but as I thought about it and meditated on it this week, as I studied it, when it says Jesus took him, it's a word that's used for arrest a lot. When you arrest somebody, Jesus grabbed him. Jesus embraced him. Probably the way that these other folks never had, had always held him at arm's length, and Jesus embraces him. He takes him. He affirms him by doing so, that he's willing to touch him. And then Jesus heals him. It's so interesting that he heals him, and then what does he say? He says, go home. He says, Jesus sent him away. It's as if Jesus is saying, you don't have to be at the cool kid's table to have dignity and worth. Jesus is saying to this man, I see you. I know you. I affirm you. I embrace you. I value you. I will help you because I love you. And because I love you, go away from here. This den of vipers. Don't look for life here. Jesus sent him away. It's amazing to me. This is something that is so hard for us to hear. I know that there are people in this place who have been so long, you've been trying so hard to get a seat at the cool kids' table, whatever that is for you. And we really believe that if we get there, then everything will be okay. Listen to me. The cool kids table, whatever that is for you that you feel like you have to have, it will never satisfy you at the deepest levels of your soul. There's so many stories of people who are successful and get everything they ever wanted, ever dreamed of, and then when they get there, they're not satisfied. And we never believe that'll happen to us. We always believe if we are in the in crowd, if we get the thing that we long for, then we'll be happy but it never works out that way. Let me tell you why. There are lots of reasons why. Let me just mention two very practical ones. First, because it's not really real. When we come to the, to the cool kids' table, when we get into the college we want, when we get into the fraternity or sorority, when we get in, it's because we've just put our best foot forward, if we are accepted at all, it's only because of all the good things that we've shown everybody. And of course, they don't know the bad things about us. We've been desperately hiding those. And so even after we get to the cool kids' table, we have this fear and anxiety because they don't know the worst things about us. And so it's so hard for us to accept their approval at a deep level because on some level, they don't really know us, not the real us. So even when we succeed, even when we make it, even when we get what we want to get, and we achieve what we want to achieve, it's not really real to us in many ways. We can't accept it. 
And second of all, it's not lasting. <laughs> it only sets us up for more performance. This weekend, a couple of folks in my house went and auditioned for a show at the Shoals Theater. Tuck Everlasting is in November. I'll let you know when it is, right? And we're desperately hoping that when the cast list comes out on Tuesday afternoon, that we're on the list, that we're at the cool kids' table, that we're in the in crowd, that we haven't been excluded. We desperately remember. But what happens if your name's on the list? Well, I went and auditioned, and I sang, and I danced, and I told the director I could do this. Now I got to live up to that. Now I actually have to perform. And it's like that in all these areas. I work hard to get the job. Now I got to do the job. I got to show them that it was worth the investment. I work really hard to get the date. Well, now it's got to be a good date, and I've got to do a good job and work hard to get a second date and work hard to get a, a third date. It's never lasting. It's not really real, and it's never. Now, combine those two things, right? They don't know the bad stuff about me, but they're expecting me to perform really well because I told them I could, and I've sold them on that at the cool kids' table. And what does that do to us internally? They only know the good things. They don't know the bad things, and they think I can perform, and now I'm set up, and I've got to perform. I've got to keep performing. I'll tell you what it does, anxiety fear. Oh, I'm going to be exposed. They think I'm a cool kid because I'm at the cool kids table, but deep down, I know that I am not. And we're never satisfied. Even we achieve all the things that we want to achieve. Listen to me. This is very important. There is only one thing that will satisfy you at the deepest levels of your soul, only one, and that's when Jesus invites you to God's table. Now, I know what you're saying. Of course, you're a preacher. Of course, that's what you're going to say. Well, yes, because I say what's in this book. I'm bound to. But think about it with me. Yes, when Jesus died on the cross for our sin, he took the punishment for our sin. But you know the gospel is more than that, right? We get credit for the righteousness of Christ. So we get his perfect record credited to us. And when God accepts us at his table, it's not on the basis of what we have done. It's on the basis of what Jesus has done. So when I'm sitting at God's table, it's not because I earned it. It's not because I'm so good. God has us at his table knowing the worst about us. Knowing those things you don't want anybody else to know, and you're there. And God loves you and accepts you and is for you and embraces you despite knowing all the worst things about you. It's really real. Oh, and it's lasting. It does not set you up for more performance. There's nothing else that you have to do. Because Jesus has done everything that is required for you to be at God's table. That's why he said, it is finished. You want to talk about lasting? This is eternal. It could never be taken away from us. And so that's why Jesus says to you today, he says, you don't have to be at the cool kids' table to have dignity and worth. Jesus says to you today, I see you. I know you, even the worst things about you. 
and I still value you enough to give my life for you. I embrace you. I help you. I love you. Now go away from this kid's table. It's not going to satisfy you. This is the only thing that will. That's what Jesus thinks when he's invited to the cool kid's table. What does Jesus think when we're invited to the cool kid's table? What does he say about that? Look at at verse 7. We see the first of two parables he's going to tell. Now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted so what does jesus think when we are invited to the cool kids table for followers of jesus for those of us who follow him what he says is you need to be humble that you don't seek to exalt yourself That's what so many of us do in order to get the invitation to the cool kids table, right? We exalt ourselves. And it's what so many people at the cool kids table have to continue to do to exalt themselves to justify their being at the cool kids table. And we've talked about how it's not real and it's not lasting and it just leads to fear and anxiety. And if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus says, that is not you. That you're to be humble. You are not to exalt yourself. Now let me be clear. This is not a false humility, right? We are great at playing these kinds of games in the South especially, aren't we? Oh, I'm just so humble. I'm going to sit in the worst place and then maybe I'll be raised up to the... We love to play the part of a martyr, don't we? Heard somebody say one time, Mary, come down from the cross. We need the wood, right? Don't be a martyr. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying to play games to get people to exalt you. That's not what he's saying at all. Jesus is calling his followers to true humility. That the attitude we're to have is all I have was given to me by God. I promise you there is nothing good in me that created anything good that you see. It's all God, and it's nothing. He, I, anything I am is because of him. Can I tell you about him? Can I tell you about how good he is, how gracious he is, how mighty he is, how merciful he is? Thank you, Lord, that you've been so good. That's what Jesus calls his followers at the table to be like. That's why in Jeremiah 9 and verse 23, the Lord speaks and he says, This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they understand and know me, the Lord. That's what our boast is in. Do you know him? Do you know the Lord? Let me tell you what he's done. 
Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to your people. Thank you, Lord, that I'm here. Thank you, Lord, that I'm breathing. Our next breath, our next heartbeat is because of his mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord, for these children that are being born in our congregation. Thank you, Lord, for these opportunities that you're giving us. It is all of him. It is not of us. That's what Jesus tells us as his followers when we're invited to the cool kids' table. Now, what does Jesus think about when we're inviting people to our table? This is hilarious to me. Look at this. We read this with such seriousness, and we should see this book as sacred, but this is funny. Look at verse 12. Jesus also said to the man who had invited him. This is not Southern at all. We would never say this about our host, right? And if we're not in line with what Jesus is doing, it's a problem with, with, with our hearts and not with Jesus, right? It's a problem with our culture. It's a problem with our bent, not a problem with Jesus. I'm just sitting here going, Jesus, don't say that. That's not very nice. Verse 12, Jesus said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Now, let me just stop right. Who do you think is sitting around this table right now? His brothers, his friends, his rich neighbors. That's who's sitting there. Jesus, this is so uncomfortable. Stop. Jesus says, when you invite people to your table, that's not what you are to do. Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is not saying don't have family to your dinner table. He's not saying that you shouldn't have rich people. We already talked about that. We're not going to divide by class. That was the first point. So what is he saying? Jesus is saying we don't invite people to our table in order to get something back, right? He says we don't use our table for networking. We don't invite people just for what they can give us. We're not to use people as a commodity, for just what they can do for us. We're not inviting those who we most calculate to benefit us. We're not just inviting those who will get us to the cool kids' table or help us to stay at the cool kids' table. That's what Jesus is saying. Then we invite those who cannot repay us. But it's not that we're not repaid. God repays you. Man, what implications that has for us as we think about hospitality, as you think about your table and who you invite over. Do you invite people to your home, to your table, in such a way as to see the kingdom of God advance at your table? We're to invite all kinds of people because our God invites all kinds of people to his table. We are to be dedicated to showing the welcoming heart of God by, by being welcoming people who follow him. Our church is to display the welcoming heart of God by welcoming all kinds of people into this place. I debated whether to talk, but well, let's, we're in. Let's just go all the way in, right? 
You know, it's sort of in vogue now to talk about racial reconciliation. And I'm glad the last few decades we've been talking about that. And that's a topic of conversation in our culture. But if you think that's something new or, or something that just started here in the last few decades, you need to read the book of Revelation. Because that's always been God's plan for his people. That there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation and people group around the throne of God worshiping him. That's always been God's plan for two millennia. And listen, to the extent you have seen the church fail in that area, that is a failure on the part of the church to represent what God is like. It's sort of popular now to say, hey, I, I want my church to be a multicultural, multiracial church. It's a popular thing. And I think that's good because it does reflect the welcoming heart of God. But we seem to be confused about how that happens. Everybody wants that as a goal, but nobody knows how to get there. I remember Lee Mayhall and I went over and we were talking to an African-American pastor in our denomination over in Huntsville. We were asking him about what he was doing. And here's the question he asked. He was like, do you have any black friends? Do you invite black folks over into your home to sit at your table? I mean, who goes to your church? People who you're friends with, people that you work with, people that you interact with. Why don't you just start by making some friends that are different from you? <laughs> wow, there's a novel idea. I'm sitting there scribbling down notes like he's going to give me this great. He's like, why don't you just make some friends that look different from you? That's what Jesus is saying here. That when we invite people, we invite people different from us, not just for the sake of diversity, but because we worship a God who welcomes all different kinds of people, and so we should welcome all different kinds of people. Number four, what does Jesus think about God inviting us to his table? Jesus tells another parable here in verse 15. He's just said, listen, don't just invite people who can repay you, but you invite people who can't repay you, and God will repay you at the resurrection of the just. And so verse 15, somebody hears him says that, and he's reclined at the table, and he says, Blessed is everyone who can eat the bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus is supposed to say here, yes, when the Messiah comes and makes all things right, the righteous will all eat together, and the unwashed masses who sin against God will be done away with, and finally we'll have this purity in the people of God. That's what Jesus is supposed to say. <laughs> it's not what he says. Look at verse 16. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So Jesus says, the people who you would think are going to be there have all been invited, and look what happens. But they all, like, begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the cripple and the blind and the lame. Now they would think all these people were grievous sinners, which is why they have these problems, right? And that these are the, the ungodly people that would be excluded. And here Jesus is telling the story saying, Invite all these folks in. 
Verse 22, and the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Now, what's going on here? Jesus, when he answers the question, what does he think about God inviting us to his table? God is like a master giving a feast. And God wants you to come to his table. And God, in his grace and his mercy, invites all kinds of people to his table. And as you see in the, in the story, some people reject God's invitation. It's interesting because it's the very ones you would expect to be there. The religious elite like Jesus is talking to. The ones who profess faith in God, church people. And they have these excuses Jesus seems to be saying here that all excuses for rejecting God's invitation are lame. That's what he's saying. I mean, think about it. This guy says, I bought a field and now I must go see it. Who buys a field without seeing it? Or the guy says, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to go examine them. You examine them before you buy them. That's a terrible excuse. It's like saying I'm going to test drive a car that I've already bought. You test drive the car before you buy it. And Jesus is saying, look, any excuse for not coming to the Lord's table is a lame excuse. But God just keeps inviting people, and he keeps inviting people. And many who you would have expected to accept God's invitation reject God's invitation. And many who you would not expect to be at God's table, <laughs> they're going to be there. And that's why in our own homes, in our own hearts, in our church, we want to be a welcoming people, welcoming all sorts of people, because we serve a God who welcomes all sorts of people. May God give us his own heart as we live life for his glory. Let's pray and ask him to do that. Heavenly Father, these things are hard. We naturally gravitate toward people who are like us. These things are hard because they're messy. And so I just pray that you would give us the, the strength and the stamina and the wisdom and the desire and the compassion and the drive to be people after your own heart, to be people who welcome all kinds of people because you welcome all kinds of people. Please be at work in us. Father, we have such a temptation to affirm things we shouldn't affirm. We have such a temptation to reject things that we shouldn't reject. Father, only you know the difference. Show us in your word. Be at work in our hearts by your spirit. Make us look more and more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.